Welcome back to another episode of Care Transitions Today. This healthcare podcast is focused on case management and transitions of care and is presented by the American Case Management Association. I'm your host, Deb McElroy. Um, but before we begin today, we have a brief message from the American Case Management Association, ACMA. Uh, you are invited to join your peers at the 2021 ACMA National Conference, June 22nd through 25th in Orlando. Engage and learn with case management and transition of care professionals from across the country at this premier event. The conference offers a lineup of healthcare experts presenting sessions that are designed to improve patient care outcomes, but also prepare attendees for success in our ever-changing healthcare system. Learn more and register at casemanagementconference.com. That's casemanagementconference.com. Today, we have the opportunity to continue our discussion about innovation in case management, and we're going to focus on the use of simulation. I am delighted to welcome my three guests today, uh, Colleen Fitzgerald and Kyle McDaniel, uh, who are from Trinity Health, and Kathy Furquette from the American Case Management Association. I'm going to do some brief introductions and, and then let them fill you in on the details uh, Kyle McDaniel is the Director of System Care Management for Trinity Health. He has a wide range of experience with leadership roles overseeing case management, utilization management, social work, clin clinical documentation improvement, and he also holds um, a faculty position. Colleen Fitzgerald is a Director of System Care Management at Trinity Health. She is an experienced health leader with uh, over 30 years. Um, in those positions, her healthcare experience covers much of what I talked about with Kyle, but also uh, human resources and oversight of uh, care facilitation and transitions of care. She also holds an academic position. Um, and then finally, our third guest, Kathy Furquette, is actually a senior consultant for transition of care and simulation programs for ACMA. But Kathy also has held system leadership positions over case management and over the care continuum. So again, welcoming highly experienced folks today. So glad to have them. And Kyle and Colleen, I'm going to start with you. If you want to fill us in just a little bit about your roles, that'll give us context to the programs we're going to talk about today, and then a little bit about um, Trinity Health. And Colleen, I'll start with you. Great. Thanks. Thanks, Deb, for letting us join you today. We really appreciate the opportunity to be part of this podcast. Um, Kyle and I actually are um, partners and we have the same job title and we share the country. So as many of you may know, Trinity is a large health system and we have, I want to say, 92 hospitals across the country in 22 different states. But we actually um, work with about 50 of our acute care hospitals on a consistent basis. So we do a lot of the um, case management work with these um, ministries across the country. And, um, you know, Trinity also has a lot of other programs that we're in, a lot of alternate payment model programs. 
We have our own home care agencies. We also have um, senior communities. We're involved with PACE programs. So we cover the whole continuum. But today we're going to be focusing more on the um, acute care management teams and what we're doing with them in the simulation program. That's great. Thank you. And Kyle, I'll kick it to you. Thank you. Thank you, Deb. And, and thanks, Colleen, for all those that lead up to it. Um, the other the other piece that we work on and have the blessing of doing is working closely with our ambulatory care management partners in the health system and, and really working on making sure we provide high quality care at each point in the continuum. And then how do we work together to make it a seamless effort across the care continuum? And, and I have the blessing of working with the Bundle Payment for Care Improvement program ministries, which include about 30 different hospitals across our health system that really focus episodic care management on that specific thing. How do we take our patients and efficiently and effectively transition them from one care to the other and, and drive it in a seamless way so it's a it's a smooth experience um, for, for the patient or um, the individual in the communities? That's great. Thank you both. And um, Kathy, I'm going to gave a brief introduction, a little bit about um, your role for ACMA, and then let's talk about simulation. So um, tell us what you're up to today for ACMA. Thank you, Deb. Um, I've had the privilege of uh, really being involved in the early development of the Transitions of Care Standards, which ACMA published at the end of 2018, early 2019. In addition to that, um, we have uh, developed a learning collaborative where we really tested the Transitions of Care Standards. And then just in the last week, we were able to um, put together a toolkit for implementing the transitions of care standards. So all those resources are on the ACMA website. And uh, in addition to that, I have the privilege of leading the ACTS program, the Advanced Care Transition Simulation Program. And we have incorporated um, a lot of the um, information and the standards into the ACTS program. So they really, they really go hand in hand together. That's great. That's great. So Let's dive into the innovation that is simulation, which um, I, I share your enthusiasm for it. So um, simulation has not traditionally been used for um, roles in case management. You associated that more with more uh, air quotes here, clinical roles. So can you describe, Kathy, I'm gonna start with you, some of the drivers that led to the development and the value you see in applying simulation to the practice of, of case management, transitions of care, et cetera. Like, what does that mean for those professionals? Sure. The, it's a great question, and uh, I want to start by introducing that uh, while simulation has been around for over 25 years, uh, really largely used in the military, uh, certainly we know it in aviation in terms of facilitating uh, the skill set needed to safely uh, fly and land a plane, it has not been around the field of case management. Um, healthcare has been using simulation in a lot of uh, technical skills. But we've identified and uh, really proud to be a part of ACMA because we are the first to bring simulation to the field of case management, where we really are um, evaluating the competency level of our care management professionals within the field of case management. So 
it really is a, a opportunity for both RNs who are case managers as well as our social worker partners to demonstrate in a simulated safe environment, not only what they know, but how they function. The opportunity to really evaluate um, the communication skills, the assessment skills that they have and really connecting with families and identifying and helping a family through a very difficult situation and um, including them in that plan of care as well as uh, recognizing opportunities around uh, things that would impact social determinants such as literacy or um, home homelessness or food insecurity. Our scenarios are very, very realistic. And um, we, we coined the term that it really is the difference between identifying what you know and how you apply what you know in a very safe simulated environment. So I'm curious, um... I, I I think that makes sense. And obviously, in order to function effectively, those communication skills, all of those um, skills that allow us to navigate getting the um, patient transitioned uh, with their family to the appropriate setting, et cetera. But I could see from a um, hospital administration point, they're saying, okay, but why do we need simulation for this? Isn't this just intuitive or didn't we just hire the right people? So can you tell me how organizations are looking at that? Absolutely. And, and I know our, our colleagues from Trinity will certainly comment on that as well. Um, so we all um, enter the field of healthcare and we have preparation in terms of our education and ongoing skill development, ongoing collection of continuing education hours. Um, the beauty of our ACTS program is, is it can be used for ongoing professional development. So for our practitioners who have been working for 10 or 12 years in the field, as well as onboarding um, novice care managers and novice social workers, it is a rich opportunity to really um, participate in simulation and then have the opportunity to debrief with our standard patients who play a role in our simulation and hear their feedback. Um, the debriefing session is really the opportunity to reflect on your practice. Um, I'll just say personally, uh, as someone who's practiced in the field for a long period of time, we can learn something new every day. And uh, when we get feedback from our patients who play our standard patients, it really is, first of all, very validating, but it also gives us an insight into, is there an opportunity for us to adjust our style a little bit? Um, Kyle tells a nice story about some feedback from a standard patient who, who got a little bit mixed up when one of our, um, our participants used an acronym. Um, I don't know, Kyle, can you share that story? Yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, so we were doing a, a beta site rollout with the trainers at one of our local or one of our ministries um, in the South. And in the instance that Kathy described, the social worker was doing a great job in the simulation, um, listening to the patient and the family, meeting them where they were at, identifying and achieving their goals. But in doing so, she provided a resource. And when she provided the resource, she actually provided the acronym followed by the explanation of what it was and how it could help them. So in the debrief, 
what came out and, and really i think um as kathy uses the term secret sauce um, one of those secret sauce components to this program is that immediate feedback from um from the standardized patients or in other words otherwise the patients that we they would work with that otherwise we may not get and in that debriefing the standardized patient noted that um they didn't know what that acronym meant and and in that dialogue the social worker actually said well, shortly after I gave that, I explained what it was right after. And, and the feedback from the standardized patient was, well, I never heard that because I got caught up in trying to figure out what the acronym actually meant. So since that experience, the social worker has actually immediately changed their practice to first describe what the services they're going to provide are, say what the word is, and then provide the acronym. So by flipping that, the patient has the ability to know what they're getting um, and why it's important to them, and then the name that they may hear subsequently in the acronym. So I thought that was a great example of real-time feedback and enhancing practice for the quality of patient care. So I love hearing that explanation. So you're using standardized patients, which are real people playing the patient, and you've got that live interaction. So um, obviously that's really powerful. Um, Kathy, anything else that you would want our listeners to know just as an overview on the, you know, the key outcome of simulation? What are we hoping to achieve? Sure. Well, we, we believe uh, from the standpoint of ACMA that there really are a lot of organizational benefits. And so there are really many key outcomes. Um, certainly, care transitions is in the name of the ACTS program. And so improving care transitions is really uh, vitally important. That's the key component. We have um, over 10 um, simulation scenarios that are built into the ACTS platform. Each of those scenarios across a care setting. So we're really um, identifying that the plan that is developed perhaps in the acute phase is then transitioned to the opportunity to do a simulation with the patient who may have transitioned to home or may have transitioned to skilled nursing or even to um, assisted living. So we have, um, we have built in the, the care transition so that the, the case management professional is developing the plan, but then seeing the patient in the next setting to make sure that that plan in fact is effective. We do a lot of focus on the care continuum and understanding where all of the settings are for um, individuals participating in the ACTS program. If you don't know your partners who are on the pre-acute side, or you're not as familiar with the partners who are on the post-acute side, you won't be able to set up a seamless care transition. So uh, that's why we do a little exercise with the transition standards of care, as well as a um, care continuum learning map. So we've built that into the simulation program. Finally, we really believe that there's an opportunity for really developing improved interprofessional collaborations. Um, Kyle mentioned the work that they do in terms of their ambulatory uh, phase uh, along with uh, the bundled payment program. 
recognizing that we need those interprofessional collaborations across the care continuum really um, improve the experience, not only for the care professional, but also for the outcome that the patient will experience. So it is um, a, a broad program and uh, we really believe it sort of helps our care management professionals uh, connect the dots across the care continuum. Well, good. So that's that's a great point at which uh, we go over to Colleen and Kyle to say, you know, so Trinity Health, Colleen, you gave a great overview at the beginning, 22 states and a really large system. Um, so I would ask the two of you, um, what was happening within the system that makes it a good time to implement a simulation type program for your um, case management and transition of care professionals. So Deb, this is Colleen. I'll go ahead and start that and then we'll uh, transition it over to Kyle. So I think some of the things is, you know, as an organization, um, we're large. So, you know, as a system perspective where Kyle and I work at, we really um, feel that our obligation is to help the ministries across the country and to assist them in things that that including developing their colleagues. So um, this is a great way to provide a program that allows not only education, but also competency. And so we like that because it's done in a safe environment. And I can't tell you how many colleagues that we've heard that have been through the training that really appreciate an opportunity to be able to try new things in, in, a, in a safe environment or they're actually working with their um, colleagues in the simulation, which when they're usually in a room with a patient and family, they're there by themselves. So it's an opportunity to hear how someone else handles that same situation. And so it's just stuff that they're not used to um, seeing and hearing, and it really has helped um, them to be able to become better in their roles. And really that's what we want. We want them to feel confident and want them to be able to, to do um, better. And, you know, we're providing that environment for them to do that. So I think that that has really um, helped them. I think that we are also um, going to um, be having them start out with one situation um, to build the foundation. And then each ministry can go ahead and do other things that other scenarios as they see fit for their particular ministry. Being in different places, they each have their own uniqueness. They have their own needs, um, but we're building that foundation and then they can go ahead and expand on that. So I think that as far as the um, implementation, it, we're going to be rolling it out at about 40 hospitals and we're about halfway done. And actually, Kyle and I had the pleasure this morning of um, being on a training that um, Kathy did with um, a few of our hospitals. So it's you are in the process and continuing. So with that, I'm going to turn it over to Kyle and he's going to talk more about how that fits our goals. Great. Thank you, Colleen. Kyle, tell us more. Well, thank you very much. And I think it's always the right time. Um, when we think about how can we better the service we provide our patients and communities and the different training opportunities that are available for that, I, I think it's always the right time. Um, and that's one of the things I really like about 
the AX program is A, it provides another type of learning style to support the adult learner, right? We have everyone at, at the adult level as a professional, we all learn a little different. And this provides another opportunity to learn differently. And especially like Colleen had mentioned in a safe environment, right? But be, even beyond that, when we think about the X program and its implementation and its learning style, I really love to emphasize its flexibility and flexibility in a couple instances. So from an implementation standpoint, it's flexible in how we've how we can train even the trainers, right? For our system, we've done in person and now we've done virtual. When our ministries go to to teach their internal teams and help them grow as professionals with this program and their skill sets, they have the flexibility in virtual or in person. And I think both of them meld to the way that we support our patients on a, on a daily and routine basis. A lot of our communication recently has been and, and will continue to be electronic. So having that ability to, um, and I believe there are about five simulations that were modified um, to be able to be done more virtually. So they lend better to that. It supports that maybe someone on your team that needs more experience or more practice communicating on the phone versus in person. Now they have that ability to practice that skill. So you have the flexibility on, on the delivery and the timing as well, because there's also the staffing concerns and flexibility. So how I train my team members and, and the, the time frame in which I, I need to do it or can do it, I can bend that over many months if I need to, or I can try and get it in a tight time. I, I can do it either way, right? Um, but then there's also flexibility in how we deliver it. Um, and that's the sense of how intense is the simulation. So that actually speaks to uh, um, something that Colleen mentioned and that you're bringing up now. So um, it sounds like you're using it, the, the program, even for experienced um, professionals as, as a sort of an enhanced learning or professional development or competency assessment. It, it's my assumption that you're also using it as training for uh, folks that are new to the role. Is that right? Or have you not applied it that way yet? So I think that um, we are absolutely using it for all levels. Um, and so our, our initial expectation of the teams is once they go through the trainers, we're training trainers, right? So once those trainers are trained, then they are um, required to go through a simulation with all of the colleagues at their ministry. So it's putting everybody through no matter what level they're at. So, and um we would like them to do that on an annual basis with everyone. So they can do more. Of course, they have it all available to them. So they're always able to do more, but at a minimum, making sure that everybody goes through simulation training on an annual basis. And of course, finding this as a very good tool to use in an orientation program, right? To be able to have those brand new team members that you can go through this with and you can identify their level because you've not worked with them, you've not orientated them. And so that you can go through a program like this and be able to do an assessment and see where they're at and see what, what additional um, development they may or may not need. 
That's great. And, and I, I guess one other thing that I would like to add is that at the beginning, when we um, first announced this to our care management leaders across the country, that we were bringing this program in, that we were going to pilot at a few sites. And we had more volunteers than we had pilot op- pilot opportunities. So, you know, that was that was very good in in hearing that. And that was back in 2019. So, you know, the program was fairly new. And in getting more volunteers than you have spots for is always a good thing when you're trying to start something. <laughs> so um, that really was a helpful benefit for us in knowing that teams are eager to do this and want the opportunity to have an offering like this to them. Well, again, obviously seeing the value in in doing that, and um, it's my sense that, and and my experience professionally, that the um, onboarding and maybe continued professional development for people who have been in these roles has been um, at times less structured, at least in this piece. So it sounds like you you have that. I. Um, I love the idea that uh, there's flexibility that Kyle talked about in the scenarios. Kyle, can you sort of walk us through what a typical training, you know, for those who are listening, let's paint a picture of what this training looks like. So I think first and foremost, the largest benefit to the train the trainer sessions is how well laid out and prepared. Um, the simulate the the training is itself as well as the work that Kathy does with the teams to make sure that they're ready. So it starts with an initial introductory call where Colleen, myself, Kathy, and the leaders from the local ministry that we'll be working with that'll be responsible um, from a leadership perspective for its rollout, we meet. And, and we meet to, to give further guidance and support on what the program is. So what is advanced care trimu- advanced care transition simulation? What does that mean and why is it important that we roll this out? So we get through that and then we set expectations. Following that call, we have an additional call that includes that same group as well as the the ministry's trainers. And on that call, we're, we're introducing this again, the simulation training module to the trainers so they know what it is and the importance of it. And then we're also setting the expectations of not just what to expect on the days of training, what needs to be done ahead of time, which is very minimal. It's, it's no more than two hours, probably more on a common of an hour's worth of prep work that can be done over the course of several days if needed, um, as well as we're setting the expectation of, as trainers, you will be asked and expected to do the simulation training with your local teams. We let them know they're never alone, right? We're gonna be here with them for any support they need, during training or after training and through their annual competency trainings that they do with their teams. But we wanna set that expectation and awareness right out of the gate. Following that, we have two days planned of virtual simulation training with the trainers. Two four-hour sessions, typically no more than a week apart of each other, um, where Kathy gets on the phone with our teams, our, our trainers, we invite the leaders, even though they're not going to be trainers, we want them to be a part of this process, right? We want them to know what we're doing, how it works, and how they can support this program. Because as Colleen had mentioned, we had lots of volunteers 
um, when we were even going through the beta site process. So our leaders are very excited and very engaged in bringing this to their teams. And we want them to continue to have that excitement and continue to be able to support what, what is happening in the program. On the first day of simulation training, um, the first four hour session, it's more classroom style, um, but Kathy comes with a very structured agenda and she does a great job of making sure going through the key details while also listening and working with the team in relation to maybe what areas do they still have questions on that we need to go through more clarity for and and really setting the groundwork in that first that first classroom four-hour session because I really think of that first four-hour session as we're really setting the foundation for the house we're building. Um, it, she really does a great job of laying out not just again what advanced care transition simulation is and why it's important but what are the key elements when we think of what a good care manager needs across that care continuum and what this program is really driving to establish a skill set for. And then following that simulation um, training session, there's a second four-hour simulation training session where we really dive into and go deep through the actual simulation process. And I call this the full circle day um, because <laughs> what it does for a lot of the trainers is gives them that full circle feel and understanding of, okay, now we've set the foundation. Now I see the house. Now I can see how this comes full circle from laying the foundation to actually training my colleagues to better serve the patients. And, and Kathy goes through, what does the simulation look like? And we watch a video of someone who did a simulation um, with the standardized patients. And then we talk about why, what we're looking for and what the, um, what the expectations of the trainers are as observers, right? And, and trainers on that day. And then we transition from there over to watching a video of a debrief. And, and this is a great debrief where they, where they have good constructive feedback back and forth. And really, that's the most important part of the, the simulation day is not just the simulation, but really getting that constructive feedback and having that be, as Colleen had mentioned earlier, a safe environment where, where I can go in and I can try things and I can develop myself and I'm going to get feedback and it's going to be constructive feedback and everyone's here to support me. They're not trying to point out things that I did wrong, but but things I can do better, right? And, and how can I do those things better? And I'm getting that feedback, not just from my supervisors, but I'm getting them from folks that were, were just on the receiving end of the care I've provided. Um, once those two days of simulation are complete, we then two weeks out schedule a follow-up call with our teams. Um, to A, now that they've had a couple weeks to digest the trainings, think about how they're going to implement this at their own ministries. We have that conversation to answer any questions as well as help support them in getting their first simulation up and going. Because really in the ideal state, we want our teams doing their first simulation within four weeks of training. So a lot of it's fresh so they can start to implement that new skill, new knowledge set that they have with their teams. So they're learning the, the theory. They've actually done it themselves. And then they're they're pulling it over, um, which I which I like. I, I so I thank you for walking us through that because I think it it does paint the picture and give um, our listeners an idea of what it's like that you're putting together. I'm going to go to Kathy. I I know that there's some assessment and data components to the program, um, so if you can talk about that a little bit. 
Absolutely. So, Deb, we have leveraged um, as our competency and assessment framework the ACMA standards of practice. So those domains of practice, which include assessment and communication, transition management, utilization resource, we use those. Um, and we, when we work with the ACTS trainers, they're really competencyed in terms of how to assess someone who's going through simulation using those standards of practice. So we relate back to, is the uh, presentation professional? How did the care management professional introduce themselves? Did they include the family? Did they inquire about confidentiality? So all those things that we take for granted in a uh, uh, an interaction uh, with a patient and family are able to be assessed and then scored. So we have a, uh, a scoring system that is uh, uh, loosely based on Benner's uh, model of practice. And in addition to that, everything that we have built into the ACTS program is really based on the Society for Simulation Standards of Practice. So there's a lot of evidence-based support for the work that we are doing. But the competency itself really uh, sort of flows back to ACMA's expectations around the standards of practice. So that's how they're assessed. In addition to that, so we're looking at how they how they perform, what is their behavior in the simulation, which um, roughly runs about 10 to 15 minutes. So it's not a long simulation. But the more the most important piece is we're really evaluating their critical thinking skills as well. So uh, built within the portal is the opportunity for the participant to document what they have found in their interaction with this particular scenario. Um, we are uh, really sort of calling for, while we may not have covered everything in the simulation, we're now looking to see, did they capture everything in their documentation? So we can see um, their uh, understanding of what the past history is. We can see the recommendations that they're making in terms of education or planning. We can uh, really understand what, what did they tease out in their assessment because it's all reflected in the documentation. One of the things that we really underscore with our trainers is, is that they never score the candidate who is going through simulation until they have reviewed their critical thinking skills in the documentation. What you see in the simulation is only part of it. What you're looking for is the ability uh, for that professional to demonstrate what critical thinking skills they have. And we incorporate that into an exercise that we do with the training because how, how um, the video portrays someone doing the simulation, I ask for um, all the trainers to assess that person. And then we review her critical thinking skills. And lo and behold, the assessment and the scoring really improve because they do recognize that while it was a 10-minute simulation, this person really was able to put it all together. So there really is a unique component to the behavior in the simulation, the documentation, and then, of course, the ability to then debrief with the standard patients and even your other colleagues on what you did well or what you might what you might improve on. Um, Kyle's story about the social worker who changed her approach is an example that I use a lot because even though you've been practicing for 10 plus years, you can still learn the smallest little detail that might make your 
planning for the care transition for that patient and family just a little bit more successful. So thanks for that. You know, it brings to mind, and Colleen, I'm going to direct this question to you. It it brings to mind one of the things you talked about early on is that these scenarios that are part of, so you, you have your professionals uh, interacting in the scenarios, but but there's components to it. So it's acute care, but it's also you're you're looking at how that transition goes to a skilled nursing facility or home care. Colleen, you were describing your system. Um, and so there are components of all of that. Um, can, can you talk about, do you think there has um, been impact to how uh, your folks are thinking about those post-acute partners? Or I think Kathy used the term pre- pre-acute partners, you know, so primary care, um, SNFs or home care. So can you talk a little bit about that? I sure can. And absolutely, I think it does impact. I think part of this simulation and the scenario that we're utilizing does cross the transition. So it, it starts out with them in the acute care hospital and transitions them home. So part of the role that the acute care case managers and social workers are doing is two part. First, they're, they're, they're in their role that they currently are in acute care, asking all the questions, um, coming up with the transition plan, ensuring that the, the patient is transitioned to the next level of care. And in doing so, then the second part of the simulation, they're in the home. And they're the, they're the case manager and social worker in the home with the patient identifying what is happening in the home and making sure that um, the transition plan was successful. So they have to look at it with a new lens and seeing what is, what is happening in that perspective. And so it, it requires them to then use their critical thinking skills and say, oh, this is what happens in the home afterwards and identify things that went well and opportunities that they have in their future transitions. Um, one of the things that, that we may um, do and have an opportunity to do after we get this fully implemented through our system is to bring those partners in for the simulation. Um, we're at this point just doing it in the acute care environment, but there is an opportunity for us to bring in the Trinity Health at Home nurse or case manager and see what their perspective is and how things are. So I think it is an opportunity for us um, to continue to do, but even just what we're doing currently in having them do multiple um, sites is helping them to think differently. That's great. And and Kyle, I'm, I'm going to ask you, so um, because I'm, I'm thinking about, I keep referring to Trini as such a big system, but I'm, I'm thinking the ministries or the hospitals that you have in your system, there's large and small, right? And, and so you said, I think there's 40 that, right, are, um, that are involved. Are some large and some small or Yep, absolutely. So so we have all sorts of sizes and all sorts of demographics that, that we serve um, and have the blessing of serving as a health system. Um, some are, as, are some of our largest are in, in Hartford, Connecticut. Um, St. Francis in Hartford is, is a good sized ministry and they were actually one of our beta sites. 
um, to, to roll this out. And they have a simulation training space that we had, we had the opportunity to utilize for that train the trainer opportunity. And, and they're a great ministry and a large ministry there in, in Hartford. But we also um, turn and we have ministries that are small, that are very rural and um, Ontario, Oregon is an example in our St. Alphonse's health system, great health system up in the Northwest region, um, serving everywhere from Boise through the very small communities um, in the outreaches of Oregon. So um, we want to roll these out to all of those ministries, because regardless of the population that we serve, we want our teens to be the very best prepared to buy, provide the highest quality care. Well, it, it applies to, to all. So, um, Kathy, I'm, I'm interested. I, I like what, um, uh, you know, so we're, we're saying it, it really applies large or small, the need for people in this space, the professionals that are practicing um, would benefit from this kind of, um, this kind of training. I, I, what Colleen was talking about was diff alternative settings to acute care. So have you done any trainings for post-acute yet uh, care or any other settings other than starting with hospital systems? It's a great question, Deb. Yes. Uh, so um, one of the initial early organizations we began with um, was actually a system that identified that they wanted to do a full day of training. And they wanted to bring in their acute care, care management professionals, as well as representatives from uh, the ambulatory side and the post-acute side. So they were one of the first organizations that recognized that they needed to, to do a better job of bringing their partners together so that they would have the opportunity to interact with one another and participate in the simulations. And they really were very positive about how, how that really helped with the uh, interprofessional collaboration and the communication and just understanding. We do um, in that eight hour day and in our training, we do, a, a, as I had mentioned, a learning map exercise where we test one of the, the care transitions. So um, standard number one has to do with assessing our patients who are um, at high risk for readmission and using uh, a risk assessment tool. And we incorporated that across the whole continuum and really um, was the opportunity to say that, well, yes, we were using this risk assessment on the acute care side, but not necessarily on the ambulatory side. So it's, a clo it's closing the loop of communication around uh, this is a high-risk person. Um, I have the privilege uh, right now of uh, working with almost 90 facilities across the United States. Some are tremendously large, like Trinity. Others are very small. I work with a system in, uh, in Kansas that is uh, just a two-hospital system, and uh, they actually were, were really excellent at, at getting things implemented. Since 2020 and our pandemic challenges, um, the opportunity to um, sort of transform this into a virtual delivery system in some regards was a great challenge for us, but we're all, um, I think, more adept at using the technology like Teams and WebEx and Zoom and simulation. Uh, the logistics of using these tools for simulation is really very, very powerful and very, very easy. Um, I neglected to mention early on that while we work with large systems like Trinity and some of their ministries have um, wonderful simulation labs, 
Other um, organizations do not have sim labs, and the uh, program is very adaptable and very flexible. You do not need to have a simulation lab in order to deliver simulation using the X platform of resources. And we work very closely with the leaders um, of each facility sites to make sure that they understand how will you take the resources that we have developed within the X platform and make them your own? Uh, we standardize the train the trainer process. So all trainers um, have the opportunity to spend eight hours with me um, uh, in addition to a pre-call and a post-call and, and periodic touch bases. But, but we develop it so that they can take it and bring it to their organization, leveraging their own culture. So we've really designed it uh, with consistency among how we train our trainers, but the implementation is really up to each organization. I've had the privilege of working with many and we are really monitoring outcomes. Um, I'm working with one of our member um, hospital systems on really measuring how to use this in an orientation program. So we're doing a little bit of pre-survey and post-survey questions and leveraging some of the resources apart from simulation to use in the professional development and the onboarding uh, perspective. So we'll have more to uh, share about that. That pilot is gonna uh, be for the next six months and we'll, we'll be talking about that in 2022. So there's just an infinite amount of resources and ability to really leverage what ACMA has put forward in our um, advanced care training, our transition simulation program. That's awesome. Um... I, I have so appreciated uh, listening to, to all of your experience. And um, uh, before we close today, I, I'm just always curious yourselves as having experienced what we have uh, through COVID and over the last year and um, still understanding and knowing you have to drive uh, really good professional practice and our patients and our families need to benefit. Colleen, I'll start with you and then go to Kyle and Kathy, but can can you just, any personal reflections on um, what this kind of a program means in the context of what you've experienced, right, over uh, pretty challenging times as um, patients were um, needing to to move out of the hospital and be fairly sick if they um, had experienced COVID or just uh, any of the other settings. I'm, I'm just curious as to what your thoughts would be at this point. So I'll start with saying that I think that all of our teams and all of us would have greatly appreciated having simulation training as to what you do during a pandemic prior <laughs> to the pandemic hitting us. I think that, you know, it has, it, it was uncharted territory for everyone. And in trying to um, figure out how you are going to now do things, things are different. And how can we do this? Boy, we sure would have liked to practice in a safe environment for this, these kind of scenarios. Um, and so with that just coming to us, it was, it was quite an opportunity for all of us to learn. 
Um, and many things um, did happen with the um, transitioning of patients um, being able to, or therefore not being able to. And I think that we, you know, did a lot of work as many people did across the country in figuring out what we can do and how we can do this. Um, so I think that um, we would have appreciated having training for this. We now know that, you know, are there other things that we can now utilize simulation for? Or can we, you know, step back and as we bring new people in, uh, put that as part of our training, you know, to be able to, um, for people didn't, who didn't have that experience, make sure that we, we do train them for future things that could happen. So I think that that would be a couple of things that I think would help us in, in the future in using simulation. Yeah, thanks for that. How about you, Kyle? I completely agree with Colleen in relation to, you know, wouldn't this have been great to have something to to really set us a platform ahead of time to be prepared for, for the different, different pieces that we had to engage with. And, you know, even thinking about having to do our work virtually for, for certain periods of time or, or do our work very differently for periods of time and having the opportunity or the platform to practice those things ahead of time or, 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 or in other senses, um, support our patients differently and had the had the platforms to do that with how how much of a blessing would that have been and, and i think one of the things as i reflect back on that we've learned is you know we always knew that we were resilient and flexible um you know as nurses as social workers as other healthcare professionals we we already kind of knew that um but if there ever was a time that demonstrated that and our ability to focus on our patients first and do whatever it is we need to do um for them you know we have the blessing of working with some amazing professionals across the healthcare continuum. And, you know, this only re-emphasized, re-highlighted that more than ever. Yeah, I agree. Kathy, any last thoughts? Absolutely. Well, I think like everyone else um, in the healthcare environment, um, we had to transform and reinvent ourselves, especially as it related to delivering simulation uh, virtually. And we did adapt the five scenarios, as Kyle had mentioned, um, and, and heard from a lot of our subscribers, oh, you know, I, I'm too busy. We can't do we can't do education during a pandemic. And um, I, I'll steal Kyle's thunder a little bit because he's he's very, very um, emphatic about the fact that ongoing education is always important. A competency assessment is something that has to be ongoing and um, you can't put a pause on those kinds of things. And so that's why we were really flexible with ACMA in terms of changing those scenarios. Uh, we know that those um, accrediting bodies are coming through pandemic or no pandemic and they are still assessing competency. Um, Within the X platform, there is a wonderful reporting system that shows competency. Those reports can be printed out and you can say, well, yes, this individual participated in simulation last month and I can show you the scores in assessment, communication, transition management. So you still have to maintain and improve your ability for competency no matter what's happening. And uh, I, I'm happy to say that um, many organizations didn't miss a beat in this. They just kind of continued to move forward and the um, scenarios that are adapted are indicating that uh, there are visitor restrictions 
And um, the simulation is done virtually talking with the patient or the family, which is what really happened in the real world. That's great. Well, thank you. Well, we, we've been talking today about innovation and this is innovative and new. Obviously, Trinity has embraced this in a big way with, with 40 hospitals and hoping to expand that. Okay, so as we wrap up today, um, thanks for those thoughts and uh, last remarks from anyone, uh, anything we missed. Colleen? Thanks. Thanks, Deb. And um, so what I wanted to um, also mention that I think that maybe we really haven't covered yet in this time together is that, you know, we've rolled this out as an education and a competency and part of our orientation. But I think one of the biggest values that we've received from doing this is that we not only boost the confidence of our colleagues as they go through this and they identify really how good they are at what they do. But it also gives our leaders the opportunity to see how good their colleagues are. And I think that, you know, sometimes you just hear snippets and, and different pieces of, of what your team members are saying, and you just don't realize how great they are at what they do when they're in the rooms with those patients. And I think this has really come to light for our teams, and it's something that I want to make sure that others identify. That's wonderful. Thanks. And I know, um, I believe that at the ACMA, the upcoming ACMA conference. So Kyle and I have the opportunity to present at the leadership conference in October, advancing case management practice with simulation training. So if anybody is interested, come see us in Phoenix and we'll have more details as to where we're at and how we've come along since now. That's great. And I would just say to our listeners, stay tuned for the details. Um, we have a, a national conference coming up in June, but, uh, but ACMA also has a conference, a leadership conference in October in Arizona. So two big conferences where folks uh, like Colleen and Kyle uh, are able to share the good work that they're doing. So thanks for that. For more information on the Advanced Care Transition Simulation Program called ACTS, please go to acmaweb.org slash ACTS, A-C-T-S. One more time, that's acmaweb.org slash ACTS. This podcast is brought to you by the American Case Management Association. Join thousands of your peers who have made the decision to further the connections, learning, and knowledge made available through ACMA membership. ACMA members gain access to resources such as the Collaborative Case Management Journal, a bi-monthly peer-reviewed digital journal dedicated to all things case management and transitions of care and available exclusively to ACMA members. Visit www.acmaweb.org slash membership to learn more. I really appreciate all of you sharing your, you know, your personal reflections as well as just this information about the, the work that you've done in a very unique new space. So thank you for 
Um, thank you for that, for sharing today your wisdom and expertise. And I'd like to thank our guests today, again, Colleen Fitzgerald, Kyle McDaniel, and Kathy Furquette uh, for joining us and, and sharing with all of you. To our listeners, please share your voice with us. Please leave a written uh, review or a rating so we know what you're thinking and any topics you want covered. We're happy to entertain those for future episodes. Don't forget to subscribe to Care Transitions today so that when new episodes come up, you'll be notified. And uh, we're going to continue focusing on innovation in our next episodes. Until then, uh, thanks for joining us and we'll talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.